Good morning, y'all. It has been a good day. It has been a really, really, really good day. Uh, my name is, <coughs> excuse me, Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff here at Church on the Trail, and I am so thankful that you're here. Josh said it at the very beginning of our service. There's lots of places that you could be, but somehow or the other, God's got you up and got you here for a reason. I believe that absolutely every week. I believe whoever is watching um, somewhere online or listening to a podcast or sitting in a, in a chair in here, it is not, God is not purposeless. He's purposeful and he's got us here for a reason, all of us together for a reason. And so amen is right. And so we are at a really good week last week. Um, to this week, we're jumping back into the book of Acts. We've been walking through Acts for a while and we're, we're jumping back in this week. We a couple of weeks ago, um, we were at the beginning of chapter 11 of the book of Acts, but if we look back just a bit to the, the end of, of chapter 9 and then the record in chapter 10, they paint an image of the apostle Peter preparing for what I'm going to call the universal spreading of the gospel. If you remember, you had this whole deal with Cornelius in Caesarea. Cornelius was a Gentile and and an angel came to Cornelius, and Peter had a vision, and the Lord, in his sovereignty, just like he puts us together today, he put them together up in Caesarea, and Peter shares the gospel with, uh, with Cornelius and his family, and a bunch of folks get saved, and, and so Peter's preparing for the universal spread of the gospel. And then in the opening verses of chapter 11, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it describes when Peter goes, uh, goes up to Jerusalem, and remember I said whenever you go to Jerusalem, you're going up to Jerusalem no matter where you're coming from. So Peter goes up to Jerusalem and he, and he, he uh, in the beginning of chapter 11, and he describes, Luke describes this scene where the, where the guys, the, the apostles, the leaders of that church in Jerusalem, where they begin to come to terms with this universal nature of the gospel that Jesus, and when I say that, I mean that Jesus is for Jews and Jesus is for Gentiles. It's the universal nature, and that's what happens or what happened at the beginning of chapter 11. And now at the, the latter half of chapter 11, it describes the preparation of kind of the very same thing that happens in the church in Antioch. And Antioch was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, and, and that church is being prepared for the same thing. The focus on the church is moving north to this incredible missionary gathering of believers in Antioch of Syria. And so we're going to be in verses 19 through 30 today in chapter 11. This, this passage gives us a, a really a very close-up view of a church that can and is mightily used by God to change an entire empire and beyond the world. Let me pray, and then we're going to jump into the text. Lord, we are so thankful that you got us here today. Lord, we are so thankful for the musical worship that led us into your very presence. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move through, through this message, that your Holy Spirit would move through this body of believers. Lord, we pray that we would keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, that you would illuminate the text of your word for us so that we can understand it in a deep and meaningful way. And not, Lord, not just to understand it, but to grow in our relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would move me out of the way and the words spoken today would be your words and not my words. 
And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, hey, so I said a second ago we see this, this close-up view of this church in Antioch, and Luke turns his attention to that church, and, and he's turning his attention to that church because the Lord has turned his attention to that church. And so the first thing that we see is that the church in Antioch is born. Y'all, I'm a master at stating the obvious. First thing's got to happen, that church has got to be birthed, and we see that church born. Look at verse 19. And if you don't have a worship guide, if you would raise your hand, and we'll get it in your, in your hand. But in verse 19, in the, in the English Standard Translation, that's the, the translation that I typically use, the first word is now. In the New Living Translation, that word is, is it's translated meanwhile, which is probably a better translation, and you'll see that in a minute, but for, this, for the time being. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, if you remember who Stephen was, Stephen was the first martyr of the church in chapter 7. Stephen is stoned to death. And so the, 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 uh, all the people, the Jews, they scattered. The believers, the Jewish Christians, they scattered. That's why we're, the name of this series this, uh, several months ago was Scattered, and then this is Scattered, and then uh, Moving Out, right? So because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, those folks traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So this meanwhile thing, you know, God is a, is a meanwhile God. Because a lot of, he can, if you didn't know it, he can do two things at once. He's like the ultimate multitasker, right? And so what we saw is Peter is in Caesarea dealing with Cornelius and Cornelius' family and, and sharing the gospel with them. And, and that was such a God-ordained thing. Um, so God's sovereignty was over that. Angel comes to Cornelius, vision comes to Peter, the Lord puts them together. While all that stuff's going on in Caesarea, meanwhile, um, God is moving around and doing stuff elsewhere. The seeds of the missionary work are being sown after Stephen's death. Because many believing Jews were persecuted and then they scatter all over the place. They settled in outlying little cities all around Judea. Spreading the gospel. Acts 7 and 8, we see it. They're spread everywhere they went, they're spreading the gospel. The good news is being preached, but it's really only being preached to Jews. Because the believers that all scattered out of Jerusalem when Stephen was stoned to death, they had not yet received the news of what was going on up there in Caesarea with, with Peter and Cornelius. It's not like they had cell phones and they texted each other they they just spread out they in their minds was it was all still for jews the gospel was still for jews they didn't know what had gone on up there in caesarea but all of that is about to change and i want you to see this point everywhere they went they preached christ everywhere they went they preached christ everywhere but now the focus for luke turns to Antioch because God is, is putting his hand on that gathering in Antioch. And it is really super interesting that this city, Antioch, it was a horribly, horribly corrupt place. It was a center of worship for several pagan cults that 
promoted temple prostitution and there was all kind of sexual immorality. There was all kind of other forms of, of evil that were common to the pagan religions back in that day. Antioch was a cesspool of decadence. It was a total cesspool of decadence. But God. But God does stuff. That city would also become the home to the church that would be the sovereignly chosen group that would fund and that would direct the next decade of church expansion under a new missionary, young man at the time named Paul. But that church in Antioch, it was born of lay believers. It was lay believers witnessing. It was lay believers preaching. And they shared Christ with everybody. Verse 19 tells us that they initially only spoke to Jews, but it was every one of them. But praise God, the Bible tells us too that there was a group of men, a small group of men that spoke also to Hellenists or Grecians or, or Gentiles. Well, what does the word in verse 20 tell us that they preached? They preached the Lord Jesus. Did they preach, preach a bunch of theology? No, they preached the Lord Jesus. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Look in Romans chapter 10. Some years later, Paul writes this. He says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. They're preaching the Lord. They're preaching the risen Lord. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And what does the Bible say? It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is so clear, y'all, looking back, like back down through the corridor of time that 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 church in Antioch, it was born by God's sovereign hand. It was his sovereignty that birthed that church. And he overruled all of the trials and he overruled all of the opposition to get done what he willed to get done. He overruled the persecution. God overruled that persecution. God overruled the fear and the trauma of the believers who were having to literally run for their lives. They left their homes. They left their friends. They left their businesses. They're running for their lives. And they could easily, easily just shut down because they really were losing everything that they, that they had. But God overruled all of that and he draws them close to him. He gives them a, a super special little bit of grace to endure all of the trial and all of the opposition and just to march through that in victory. And all the while, they're preaching the name of the Lord Jesus. God overruled the pleasure, madness, and all the sin in Antioch. God overruled and he stirred the believers to witness and to preach Jesus despite all of the trials and all of the persecution and all of the opposition. He caused the church to be born. And it's his sovereignty and it's his control. And it's his power. Verse 21 says that the hand of the Lord was with them. Don't you know, y'all, that when you get saved, the hand, what is more comforting than that? The hand of the Lord is with you. In here, when you walk out that door, when you go to work, I don't know where you work, wherever it is that you work. When our street teams are out on the streets, the hand of the Lord is with us. That ought to make you fearless and bold in your witness. So the Bible says the hand of the Lord was with them. And what does the scripture tell us the result was? 
It says, a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So this first great Gentile church, because this church in Antioch was mostly, mostly Gentile. So that first great Gentile church is born, and it is born absolutely, unconditionally through the sovereign hand of God. So we see that first. And then we see that the proof's in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. Verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church. And, well, the report of what? The report of all this going on, what's going on in Antioch. So the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. Y'all, what a simple word. He was glad. Barnabas was glad. He was, he was happy. He saw what God had done up there. And it was awesome because all these Gentiles are getting saved. All these people are getting saved. And Barnabas is like, this is incredible. It is awesome. Hearts are changing. Minds are changing. Lives are being transformed. And Barnabas is like, this is the coolest thing Ever. And you know, there could have been some Jews who would have, who would have been anything but glad. Maybe they maybe befuddled at best or, or angry at worst. But Barnabas, the text says he was glad. And he exhorted them all, which just means he encouraged. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So the mother church, that was the Jerusalem church, heard about all this crazy witness and, and, and folks getting saved stuff going on with these scattered believers up in Antioch. And don't forget that the first leaders uh, of the church, all of them were still in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was still considered the mother church. You know, Peter had even come back from Caesarea to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was the, was the mothership. And the church there in Jerusalem wanted to help these other churches that were springing up in different places. And we see that in what, what Barnabas did. The mother church wanted the new churches to, to have pastoral help. We see that in verse 22. The Jerusalem church wanted the other churches to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged. Raise your hand if you need to be encouraged. I mean, I know I do. You see it in verse 23. That's Barnabas. And then, and then they wanted the, the churches that are springing up to be taught. And we'll see that in verse 26 in a minute. So this missionary disciple named Barnabas was commissioned by that church to help the new churches that were being planted and, and sprouting up. And again, the focus here is on Antioch. I want to tell you a little bit about this dude, Barnabas. First of all, his ministry was encouragement. He was an encourager. And his message to them was to remain faithful, loyal, purposed, resolute, laser-focused, clinging to the Lord. Barnabas, his, his, his character was striking. The Bible says he was a good man. He was honorable, and he was just, and he was moral, and he was pleasing to God. And, and Barnabas was what he ought to be on the inside and the outside. Barnabas was the real deal. What you saw on the outside with Barnabas is what was going on on the inside. He was full. He was a man that was full of the Holy Spirit. He's fully conscious of the Spirit's work in his life. Fully conscious of the Spirit's power and presence and control and discipline. Fully conscious of the, of the Holy Spirit's will and purpose and guidance and direction. 
he was full of the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible tells us that that Barnabas was a man that was full of faith. He trusted in the Lord and he trusted in the Lord's sovereignty. And he trusted, uh, faithfully trusted that the Lord was, was going to be involved in his life and that his will would be done. And then Barnabas, I believe, was a poster child for a believer that displays the fruit of the Spirit. I can almost see when Paul is writing Galatians years later. He gets to chapter 5. And he's trying to think of what, is a, what does a believer look like? What, what, should, what should be coming out? If the Holy Spirit's coming in, what should be coming out? And, I, and, and Paul and Barnabas maybe had some issues. But I got to believe that when he's writing this, like Barnabas's life is kind of in his mind. And he, and he writes about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what Barnabas was. And so Barnabas goes up there and he, and he tells these folks, I want you to think about this. What you got in Antioch is this big body of, of mostly newer Christians, right? Does Barnabas give them this laundry list of stuff to do? Or does he even paint them a mosaic of, of, of Christian beliefs? He doesn't do either of those things. He fervently encourages them to do one thing. Just one thing. Verse 23 says, remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. The King James translates that, that, that Barnabas exhorted or encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. That they would cling to the Lord. That they would, that they would just hold tight to the Lord. One thing. And I'm sure that Barnabas, with this body of believers there, one of the things that he was dealing with was some false expectations. Newer Christians can tend to have false expectations. Older Christians can tend to have false expectations. Middle saved Christians. All of us can go down this road of having some false expectations when the walk's not perfect on the other side of getting saved. When life is not idyllic after you say yes to the offer of eternity with the Lord. Barnabas says do one thing. Cling to Jesus. You know, if his love, the Lord's love, doesn't necessarily look the way that we think it ought to look. He's promised his, his unending faithful love to us, right? Hasn't he? Okay. We imagine that if we loved someone like that, we'd keep anything bad from happening to them. Not so fast. You and I have no right to expect that. None. We ought to expect exactly what he promises, and that is his blessing. He promises to build our character. He promises to grow us in Christ-likeness. And oftentimes those things happen through trials. Often those things happen in the midst of persecution. We're growing. If we expect, y'all hear this, and this is not really easy to say. If we expect God to make our lives easy, then our expectations are unbiblical. Absolutely unbiblical. Barnabas says just cling to him. Just hold fast and tight with a resolute heart. Newish believers also sometimes, and all of us, I keep 
Cameron, newer believers, but that's who Barnabas is talking to. Often we can think that, that life will be full of health and wealth. Has God promised us health and wealth? No, not in this life. Not in this life. Cling to him anyway. Hold fast to him. Another one, another little false expectation that we tend to buy into is that life will be fair and people will always treat us kindly and thoughtfully. Y'all, people going to let you down. I'm going to let you down. I'm going ahead and telling you. I'm going to let you down. The person sitting next to you probably let you down. Your mama let you down. Oh, my gosh, we just had Mother's Day. But your mama let you down. <laughs> your sons and daughters, we, we, that, we're people, and that's what happens. People let you down. So, so if you're, if, But if your expectations are grounded in what this book says, and that's how you come up with your expectations, you'll understand that God will never let you down. He will never. Scripture says that I will never forsake you. That means that he will never forsake us. Never let you down. Cling to him. Barnabas tells us, hold fast to him. He is like telling them, y'all, get your heads kind of screwed on right and hold tight to Jesus purposefully, steadfastly. Cling to him. Just focus on him and other stuff will work itself. Well, what, what about the, no, 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 one thing. Well, what about my auntie? No, one thing. Barnabas said one thing. Well, what about my wife is sick? One thing. One thing, he says, focus on me. Focus on the Lord. The Lord tells us to keep our eyes and our hearts and our minds laser focused on him. And Barnabas, all of this encouragement that Barnabas has given them is take all that white noise out and focus on the Lord and everything else will fall into place. Which doesn't mean everything else is going to be a bed of roses. It's not. That's not what it means. It means the Lord is sovereign. Focus everything we have on him and he will work it out. And he will go before you. He says one thing. Just focus on one thing. So y'all, the proof's in the pudding. In Antioch, the ministry of the gospel was thriving. What does verse 24 say? It says, a great many people were added to the Lord. Well, here's a thought for you. Churches will reach people. When believers are witnessing and, and sharing their Jesus story faithfully, churches will reach people and people will grow. When the people that profess Christ act like it, churches will reach people. And people will grow. When the people, when the body of Christ displays the fruit of the Spirit, churches will reach people and people will grow. When the people, when the body, when their walk and their talk jive and match, churches will reach people and they'll grow. Again, y'all, proof's in the pudding. A great many people were added to the Lord. And then we see something else going on there. We see intense disciple-making going on. Not just disciple-making going on. Intense disciple-making going on. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. 
For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. So the church in Antioch sought additional staff to support the ministry in Antioch. To teach and to train and to disciple and to, to strengthen the body. Well, why is that? Why did they do that? The point is they sensed the need and they sought help. They sensed the need and they sought help. And I can almost see them standing up in there in Antioch. Now, you just got to imagine that image in your mind. Like, who can we find? Who can we get? Who's, who's not ashamed of the gospel? Who's got a Jewish background but also knows the Greek language and the culture and could relate to both Gentiles and Jews? Who's fearless and who's bold in their, in their witness for Christ? Who in the world can we possibly get? And some dude in the back says, I know. Like, I got an idea. What about that guy that got saved on the Damascus Road? What's his name? His name is Saul. We ought, to, we ought to find him, track him down. If you remember, Saul had been sent home to Tarsus, which as a crow flies is about 90 miles from Antioch. But Saul had been sent home to Tarsus from Jerusalem, really for his own protection, after his conversion caused this uproar with the, with the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem. And, and, and Paul, he stayed there in Tarsus for many years before Barnabas goes up there and brings him back to help the church at Antioch. And y'all, Barnabas and, and Paul's ministry there, it was marked by teaching. Verse 26, what does it say? For a whole year they met with the church and they, and they taught a great many people. So those who became believers in Antioch, they were consistently and systematically instructed by these two men in the basics of the Christian faith, in the basics of their newfound Christian faith. Paul's giftedness. Paul was a teacher, y'all. Paul was raised and discipled under Gamaliel, the greatest rabbi in Judaism that ever lived. Paul was steeped in all of the, the Old Testament and all of the, 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 the prophecies about the coming Messiah. Paul was a teacher. That church sought help. We need somebody to teach and train. Let's go get this guy. He is the guy. So Paul's giftedness allowed him to fill a role that this burgeoning church in Antioch needed. They sought help and the Lord provided that help. That's a lesson for churches everywhere. That's a lesson for us. Where there's a need, the Lord will fill the need. And the Lord will fill the need in his timing and in his way. And with the person that he deems to fill the need. And I'm telling you, and just being transparent, I struggle with keeping from trying to get in front of what he's doing. Prayer makes a difference. We get on our knees and pray, Lord, we need help in this area. Would you please provide for that? And he does it. It's what he did in Antioch. It's what he's done for 2,000 years. Right down to today, he does that. The Lord will fill that need with somebody gifted in the area that you have the need. Now, I'll tell you all, with that said... For a, we have had a need for a long time in our church family, for a long time, 10 years really. And the Lord in his sovereignty and in his grace and in his timing filled that need last week. And so I want to introduce you all to our new executive pastor, Norman Dunlap. Norman, would you all, you and Sharon come up? Sharon said no, just him. <laughs> 
So Norman Dunlap is, is your new executive pastor, and we have had that need for years. Y'all, I've known Norman for about 15 years, 15 or 16 years. You can come up here if you want to. All right. <laughs> Low key. Super chill. Um, but I've known Norman for about 15 or 16 years. He was the spiritual director. at a, I went on an on a experience called the Walk to Emmaus, and Norman was the spiritual director on that. And if you've never been on the Walk to Emmaus, come talk to me or Susan or Norman or Sharon. Incredible experience. But Norman was the, <clears throat> was the leader on my walk, and that's where we met. Norman has been in ministry for a long time. Norman's first year in ministry was my first year of life. And I'm not a spring chicken, right? So Norman has been in ministry for a long time, and the wisdom this man has is, is really is unparalleled. And so we are, as a body of believers, y'all have no idea how blessed we are to have him and Sharon with us. Super blessed. So I want to do something, and I don't want it to take all afternoon long, but I want us to pray. I'd love to pray over you too, Sharon. Can I not get you up here? All right. I want y'all, if you feel good about it, come up. I want us to lay hands on them, and I want us to pray. And if, you, and if you can't get up here, if you just hold your hand out, whatever you want us to do. But I want us to, I just want us to pray. So, Lord, we come to you today so grateful and so thankful that our paths crossed with Norman and Sharon Dunlap. Lord, we, we ask you to bless them, to bless their lives. Lord, we are so thankful for the wisdom this man has. Lord, we pray that, that the, his ministry and, and, and Sharon's ministry here would be fruitful. That as Acts chapter 11 says, that many people would be added to the Lord because of them. And Lord, we trust you. Lord, we trust that that you will bring people into this church that need to hear your word. Lord, we trust in your sovereign hand. And Lord, we pray that you would go before us in everything that we do, every ministry that we birth, every life that we come into contact with. Lord, we are so thankful. And it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you all. Thank you very much. Love y'all. So y'all. So Norman's feeling a need in this body as our executive pastor. As Paul and Barnabas filled the need that this church in Antioch had. Scripture says they met and taught a few people. No, it says they met and taught a great many people. So these people, all these people... Y'all in this church in Antioch, they consistently met for Bible study and for prayer and for discipleship training and for worship and for, uh, for all of the things that bodies, little bodies of Christ do. These people were starved for the truth. They were starved to be taught. And God provided the ones to do just that. So the purpose for, for this church meeting together was to be taught about the Lord, to be taught about his death that was according to the scriptures. To be taught about his resurrection that was according to the scriptures. 
to be taught about his teachings, his doctrines, and his instructions. The rest of verse 26 says this. It says, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So the church developed this, this amazing heritage for itself and for Christ. The believers at Antioch were the very first ones to be called Christians. And oddly enough, that name was a nickname given to them by the unbelieving people in Antioch. It was a name for people that belonged to Christ, for the followers of Christ. It only shows up two, two other times in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 24 and in 1 Peter chapter 4. But believers began, they, they took that name Christian and they began to apply it to themselves and ultimately it grows into the name adopted by the whole world for followers of Christ. And so we see in, in this passage, we see Paul and Barnabas just pouring life into these believers in Antioch. We see them pouring the deep truths of Scripture into these folks in Antioch. And then finally, we see the beginning ministry of the church there. Verse 27 says, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world, and this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so this church in Antioch, they launched their own mission. They launched their own kind of worldwide mission. Simply stated, some prophets from Jerusalem come up to help the ministry in Antioch. And we don't really know what led them to come. Was it... Was it an invitation from the church there? Was it a commissioning by the Jerusalem church? Or was it some direction from the Holy Spirit? It may have been all three, but for sure the Holy Spirit is doing, moving and shaking and acting. So we don't, we don't really even know how many of them came, but one thing is for sure. It was God's will that those prophets go from Jerusalem to Antioch. There was a prophecy of great need. One of the prophets, this guy Agabus, predicted a worldwide famine. And it's not that he was a meteorologist or a scientist or an agronomist. It wasn't his smarts. Like it wasn't his reasoning ability. It wasn't his logic skills. The Bible says it was a, the, there was a prophecy of the Spirit. It came from the Holy Spirit. And that famine took place in the reign of Claudius Caesar, which was, for, he, he reigned from about 41 to 54 A.D., so there was this prophecy of great need. There was a sharing of money and resources and supplies. The Bible says that everybody sent relief to Jerusalem according to his ability. The point is this. This newborn church in Antioch is now seen launching its own, its own mission project. The daughter church had grown enough that it could help the mother church. The language that's used there implies sacrificial giving. Not just flipping a quarter. What, what is sacrifice? They gave up something they love for something they love more. It was sacrificial giving. And then there was sharing of their leaders. Who did they send back down to Jerusalem? They sent their two chief guys, Barnabas and Saul. 
They're the ones that delivered the offering down to the Jerusalem church. And later on, Paul, if you read in, in Acts 24 and Romans 15 and Galatians 2 and other places, Paul encourages consistent giving to the needs of God's people. Consistent, systematic giving of resources to God's people. So chapter 11 ends with, this, with a really healthy picture of this growing, young, and mostly Gentile church. They had two high-quality teachers, high-quality leaders, Barnabas and Saul. They had a solid contingency of generous Jesus followers, donating enough money to tend to the needs of their local body and to give and help and support the church in Jerusalem. The idea of that up in Antioch, that mostly Gentile Christian congregation sending help to a Jewish Christian congregation in Jerusalem, what does that highlight? It highlights the spiritual character of that church up in Antioch. And we're going to see that that church, as we keep walking through Acts, we're going to see that church is used in mighty ways by God in the next phase of the spread of the gospel. The first real missionary team is launched out of that body. That body with a generous hand, they they reach back to help those that planted that church. And with an aggressive vision, they look forward to what God is going to do through them, through this church at Antioch. That church would be a major, major force in the next decade of reaching the lost for Christ. Reaching the lost for Christ. They had incredible teachers teaching the word. They had incredible evangelism, bringing folks in and training them up. Y'all, that is the vision. That's our vision. My vision is that we would be a, a friendly, welcoming group of people who, because we believe inside of us that grace saves, that we will risk criticism and go the extra mile to make every man, woman, and child feel accepted. That we are traditional in belief, but that we would be unconventional in practice. That we would do anything short of sin to remove barriers that keep people far away from God. That we would be a big faith, risk-taking body of courageous believers. That we would rather risk mistakes than miss opportunities. That we would be spiritual contributors, not consumers. Spiritual contributors that we would not be consumers. That we would understand that church doesn't exist for us. We are the church and we exist to serve Jesus by serving other people. The church is not some separate entity thing. No, the church in Antioch was the believers in Antioch. Church on the trail is the body of believers that are here. That we would always give our best. Why would we always give our best? Because excellence honors God. Excellence attracts people. Our vision is that we would be a, a group of people that would buy into the belief that life change happens best in relationships. And you know another way we know that? Because the devil wants you isolated. COVID, COVID, COVID. He wants you isolated. He don't want you locking arms with people. 
And we know, and Scripture tells us, that life change happens best in relationships. And because of that, we want to always be creating uh, and, and diving into opportunities for intimacy with God through community with each other. Our vision is that we would be a body of folks that would boldly admit our faults as imperfect people. That we would fight for authenticity. Y'all, I believe the world is starved for authenticity. We get enough fake stuff for years and years. Let us just be authentic. When we say you don't have to check your baggage at the door, don't mean that you really do have to check your baggage at the door. Bring the junk in here, y'all. Jesus didn't come to heal well people. He came to heal sick people. Let us just be imperfect together. Does that make sense? Please tell me it does. We will refuse to check our baggage at the door. And we will refuse to force other people to check their baggage at the door. That we would give up things that we love for things we love more. That's sacrifice that I was talking about. Our vision is that we would be a people who would consider it an honor to sacrifice for the Lord and His church. And understand when I say His church, I'm not talking about this building. And I'm not talking about a building that we're going to build down there. I'm talking about sacrificing for each other. You are the church. It is not bricks and mortar. Y'all, it's hearts and minds and souls and spirits. It's the body of Christ. And our vision is that we would grow. That we would grow spiritually together. That we would grow together in Christ likeness. That we would together display the fruit of the Spirit to a world that is so desperately, y'all, the world is so desperately in need of seeing people that walk the talk. So desperately in need of seeing what comes out of somebody who professes to believe, to see kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control. And yes, we will fail. We will. I mean, I will. And you will. But it should be the exception. The world should look at us and say, they're so kind. I wonder why they're kind. Oh, Jesus. I wonder why they're gentle. I wonder why she's meek. Oh, Jesus. How can they face and walk through a cancer diagnosis? Oh, Jesus. Y'all, that's the best witness in the world. It is the best witness in the world. That's the vision. You know, if you put all of that stuff in a bucket and you stir it up, what you have created is not just a disciple-making machine, but a disciple-maker-making machine. That was like liberty, liberty. A disciple-maker-making machine. That is what the church should churn out, disciple-makers, to go out in the street and make disciples. Well, a part of making disciples is evangelism, obviously. You can't make a disciple out of a lost person. they got to be saved. So that evangelism is, is, is step one. Y'all, but that's the vision. If we would love together and serve together and sacrifice together and learn together and pray and worship and evangelize together, why do we do that? So that we can reach every man, woman, and child in the valley for Christ. Period. That is why we are here on Sundays. 
That's why we have Bible studies during the week. That's why we're out in the streets on Monday nights. Y'all, that's why anything that we do, that's why we do it. One thing can make that happen. One thing. Keep our eyes and our hearts and our minds laser focused on the King. Clinging to Him, Barnabas says. Cleaving to Him. If we'll cleave to Him and remove all the other noise, everything else will fall into place. It will. One thing, Jesus. One thing, Jesus. Y'all, Barnabas encouraged those folks in Antioch to stay true to the Lord. To with purpose of heart, he says. That means a firm resolution, a fixed spirit, laser focused on Christ. That we would purpose in our hearts to cling to the Lord. Y'all, I cannot encourage... You can say, well, what about this and what about that and what about this and what about he said and she said and blah, blah, blah. Jesus, one thing, cling to him. And I am not saying that life's going to be a bed of roses. It's probably not. But y'all, he doesn't promise to remove the obstacle. He doesn't promise to remove the cancer. He doesn't promise to remove the, the jacked up relationship. He promises that he will get you through it. Every now and again, he may throw us a bone and remove it. It's not the promise. Cling to him, y'all, and he will walk in the fire with you. There was a fourth guy in the fire. It was Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Jesus is walking through the fire with us, y'all. He is. You gotta know him first. And I'm telling you, man, if you don't know him today, you need to. And it is not going to take seven degrees to figure it out. Bottom line, me and you are sinners. That sin's getting paid for. And you can choose to pay for it, or you can choose to believe and let him pay for it, which he already did. It's, it's just super simple. So if you have never said yes to that offer, I invite you to the foot of this cross. And when you come to the foot of a cross, y'all, he tells us to leave the garbage there, which means leave the garbage there. Don't take it out the door with you. He'll take that sin and he'll put it as far as the east is from the west. He'll take that sin and throw it in the ocean, in the abyss, never to be seen and heard from again. Y'all, when it's forgiven, it's forgiven. So if you have never said yes to that, Simple, clear terms. Believe that the death on that cross took care of your sin. Confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. And that he walked out of the grave alive, which allows me and you to have eternal life with him. Y'all pray with me. Lord, we are so madly in love with you today. promises are true. You are faithful. And we do hail you, King Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, I pray that they would just say these words out loud or in their minds. 
Lord, today's the day that I believe that you died on the cross for me. Today's the day that I believe you walked out of that grave alive three days later. Lord, save me. It's in Jesus' name, amen. And y'all, if you are here today and you are a believer, I cannot, there's lots of ways to respond to all this, but one of the lessons that we get from the end of, of Acts 11 is that this body in Antioch, they dove into Scripture together. They were taught by the leaders in that church. There's transformative words in this book. And they're transformative because they're God's words. I cannot encourage you enough to find a Bible study. Create a Bible study. Grab, if you're a lady, grab three or four other ladies and go somewhere and dig in Scripture. Look at our growth group directory and find a Bible study and dig in in fellowship and in community with other people and study God's Word and pray together and worship together and serve together. Find a place to plug in and serve. Serve Jesus by serving others. Serve in kids or serve in tots or serve at the cafe or serve in parking or serve on the streets on Monday nights. Serve somewhere, somehow. Serve and dig into the Word of God. Again, lots of ways to respond today. If you need prayer or want prayer, there'll be somebody back there at our prayer station to pray with you today or find me. I would love to pray, uh, pray with you. I'll turn it over, back over to our worship team.